Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Richard Gerver. You may remember Richard's been on a a couple of previous episodes where we've talked about um, education, we've talked about change, we've talked about life and we're kind of going to continue that theme today. So uh, anyway, without further ado, Richard, very warm welcome to you. It's great to be back, Paul. Thanks for having me. And um, so off air, we, uh, we've had a brief discussion and uh, we're looking at big questions to change your life. And if I can start, Richard, I'd want to, um, I want to pick up where I've left off with um, asking many people around the globe one, on the surface of it, very simple question, hmm. what, um, what's turned out to be not such a simple question. And I put this to you, Mr. Gerver, <laughs> what does speaking from your heart mean to you? Oh, I, I, I just love the way you've cast that as a simple question. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. What does speaking from my heart mean to me? Well, I think it means a number of things, but I think the first word, if, if we play that kind of word association thing, what's the first word that pops into my head? Um, the first word that pops into my head is honesty. Um, I think the ability to speak honestly, um, again, is a very simple idea, but actually takes a lot of uh, courage is quite a complex challenge because so often we are so wound up uh, wondering and worrying about what people think about us. And one of the areas of great anxiety is how people uh, judge us based on what we say, how we act. Um, and And so I think sometimes it can be very hard. You know, the number of people, including myself, um, you, you find in, in conversations, often with loved ones, sometimes with friends, often with most often with people you've never met before, where you almost censure everything you're saying um, in order to make sure that what comes out of your mouth is what you expect to be, uh, what will be given the best reaction from the people around you. So I think honesty is extraordinarily important. I think also for me, it's about it is about compassion and it is about emotional intelligence. It's about ensuring that what comes out of your mouth um, in every sentence helps lead us lead us individually, our relationships, our new relationships, our new friendships, our new professional uh, relationships forward in some way. You know, we're, we're currently living through an extraordinary age where there is a huge amount of hurtful conversation going on out there, both in real terms and in digital and social media terms, where conversations are almost designed to bring people down, to make them feel worse about themselves, their situation, their judgments and their opinions. And I think that the need for compassionate conversation, the need for emotionally intelligent conversation is hugely important. And certainly when I think of my life as both an educator and as a professional speaker, 
I think, you know, the understanding that, that what comes out of your mouth needs to create a more constructive and positive environment for the people around you is extremely, extremely important. But that isn't to say, going back to the honesty thing, that sometimes... It's okay to speak your mind. It's okay and hugely important and healthy to ensure that you're prepared to share your anxieties, your concerns, your frustrations, your anger. You know, I think sometimes we should, for example, regard our mouths as a bit like a pressure cooker on a a steam cooker. That, you know, sometimes we have to let the pressure out. And I would much rather we let that pressure out through the valve that is our mouth than sometimes you see in some people through the physicality of trapping those words and creating far greater levels of anxiety. Yeah. Just want to pick up, Richard, on, uh, I mean, you mentioned a number of things, but two words in particular that that, uh, really jumped out at me, hurtful conversations. Why? I mean, is this a modern day culture, a modern day uh, emergence? What has happened? Because I hear you and I hear you loud and clearly about those hurtful conversations and they are on mass. They're not isolated, are they? No. And I think, you know, I think I think there's, they, they've, we've, they've, they've always been there in society. But I think you can't, and I don't want to blame digitization because we, we tend to blame the digital world for too much, I think. Um, you know, digital media is only controlled by human emotion. It isn't controlled by robots. Human beings control that the, the digital realm in which we live. Um, and I, But I do think what has happened is that the advent and then the rise of um, social media in particular has created an anonymity which has allowed people to be far more vicious um, and far more controlling and aggressive than they would perhaps have been in the old days where everything was about eye-to-eye contact or at least verbal contact down a telephone line, for example. Pardon me. And I think that what we're seeing is that explosion that was catalyzed through the digital realm coming back into the, the realm that we exist in in a physical space and environment. And and kind of it's unlocked a Pandora's box, which has said to people, you know what, it's okay to be vicious. It's okay to be nasty. It's okay to be unpleasant. Um, it's part of, of human evolution that we need to bring others down to feel better about ourselves. Um, and I think, you know, we're living in a, a deeply materialistic culture these days. We're, de- we're, we're living in a deeply superficial culture. Um, and I think people are increasingly striving for um, a perfection of life that is never going to be achieved through the materialistic. So they're becoming angry, they're becoming resentful. Um, and I think we're seeing that spill out now through conversations, through language, through relationships. Um, you know, what, one of the oldest adages, adages in history is divide and conquer. And tragically, I think we're seeing that Um, more and more and partly I blame our traditional role models the people if you like at the top of the tree our politicians some of our people in in celebrity environments Um, and of course the worrying thing then is if you have leaders of the free world being divisive unpleasant and deliberately aggressive through their use of language and conversation then you're going to see other people model that because they think it's acceptable yeah absolutely just on that perfection 
on that perfection insight, Richard, I mean, that's that's a total misnomer that doesn't, it's so subjective. And, you know, the amount of problems that we create for ourselves chasing this this image of perfection, even perfection. See, I've proved a point. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's what makes you human, Paul. And that's why people tune in to listen to you. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was imperfect. It was perf- perfect in his imperfection. But, I mean, there's this whole thing, Richard. I mean, I take your point about digitalization and, and social media, etc. And, and I buy that. But I only buy it to a certain degree because I think that has become a vehicle where drivers have got this much more desperate way of living. And, you know, I know, you know, we've spoke a few times around this dichotomy of fear versus love. And this might be a, a really good um, opening, Richard, to sort of bring the fear versus love um, polarization in because mm. this vitriol that, that's kind of exercised through this vehicle is, I think, it's, it's crippled by fear. It, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's crippled by fear. I think it's crippled by anger. I think we're living in a society today where there is less and less certainty in more and more people's lives, where people have, good, good people have worked hard, got their heads down, tr- endeavoured to try and do the right thing by the right people in the right way, who have ended up finding their lives becoming increasingly uncertain. And therefore, they're looking for people to blame. They're looking for people who uh, who they believe have reneged on promises and deals and, and expectations. We go back to the thing about perfection. We're increasingly sold a myth around people having perfect lives, often in the celebrity realm, through the pages of magazines, television programs, in particular through social media. So we feel increasingly that we're missing out somehow on this um, halcyon belief in perfection that we should be able to achieve because we're seeing it, uh, we're being bombarded with it through through the rest of our, our lives, which again increases our... Um, our anger, uh, our frustration, um, our jealousy of what we perceive others to have that we don't have. We're sold myths that if we buy the right DVDs, read the right books, watch the right programs, wear the right clothes, smell in the right way, that somehow we will achieve some kind of superficial version of perfection. All of which, for me, has taken us away from our our true purpose as human beings, which is to understand that happiness is found in the depth of the human experience and in human relationships. And that doesn't cost anything, doesn't smell better than anything else does, isn't about the clothes we wear, the cars we drive or the houses we live in. Um, and, And so for me, one of the things that's extremely important is that we take a breath and pause from this constant pursuit of the belief that happiness can only be attained by the things we accrue around us. And actually, we return to an understanding that, you know, the greatest moments in our human existence are always calibrated by the human interactions we live with. You know, I think we may have talked about this before, but you never hear about somebody in their dying moments on their deathbed, if they're lucky enough to have, if you like, that that moment on a deathbed surrounded by their family and friends. You never hear somebody in those last few breaths say, I wish I'd uh, bought another Armani coat or I wish I'd 
been on, I, I wish I'd owned at least one more Ferrari. You know, people talk about in those last few moments, they wish they had another day, week, month, year to spend with the people they loved. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes the real sadness is that we live in in such fear of, of believing we're going to fail. We live in an environment where we constantly believe we have to pursue further to live, be happier, that we forget that those real moments, those tangible moments that matter most are with us every minute of every, every single day. Yeah. Fear to say, Richard, that um, happiness is an inside-out job? I say, I say, it's a really good point. I think it's absolutely right. I think, you know, happiness always begins within. Um, but sadly, we almost don't trust our emotions and our instincts enough. Um, and the world has become so deeply complicated that we just, we, we just need to connect more with our instincts and our emotions on the basis level. And we need to start appreciating the very simple things around us. You know, when was the last time people listening to this, for example, just went for a walk in, the, in an early summer's evening and smelt the air and heard the birds and realized that actually, you know, calibrate that. What in the world is there that can make you more centered than that kind of simple experience. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You touched on role models, Richard, and and uh, within our sports fraternity and particularly politicians. So I want to kind of go off at a slight tangent, if I may, into sports, because I know we've, uh, we've got a, I don't know if passion is the right word, <laughs> but a, an interest, let's sure. just leave it at that, in football. Yeah. And modern day football um, as a culture... Um, and I'll, I'll tone my words down because I've got very strong views. It's disgusting, in mm. my opinion, mm-hmm. for the cheating, the conniving, the obscene amount of money. And when we look at role models that are diving, they're punching the ball in the net, and you've got young children watching these as inverted commas role models. And then when you've got, you know, the world is full of selfless beautiful warriors that are doing amazing things within the community and you just think actually with these people in yet again inverted commas power that can really influence why do i bother why do i bother you know it's really interesting because we're we're recording this podcast the morning after the last 16 match in the Women's World Cup between England and Cameroon. And I don't know how many of your listeners will have even known it was happening or or have even seen it. But what occurred yesterday evening on that pitch was an absolute disgrace where a group of athletes were clearly totally out of control um, and totally believed that it was acceptable not just to break the rules but to add levels of violence rudeness um, to a competitive environment um, which nearly destroyed the game and and could actually have have sullied the, the the world cup itself um, and it was more than distressing to see, you know, and, and in the women's game, there isn't the money that there is that we're talking about in, in for example, elite men's uh, soccer. Yeah. So I think that, that there's definitely something here about role models. I think there's definitely something here which we need to deeply question, which is the win at all costs excuse. You know, the number of times 
I've heard in, particularly in soccer, partly because of the money involved at that level, that it's about win, win at all costs. It's about don't be a sissy. It's about being strong enough to face up man to man, woman to woman, you know, to take your punches, to to not lie down, to do anything it takes. Yeah. Well, I think as a culture, we have to challenge that, actually. Um, I think we have to challenge that for many, many reasons. Um, But, you know, when I look at the moments in my own life where I feel I've experienced profound success, part of that satisfaction for that success actually comes out of believing that I've played by the rules, that I've done it fairly, most importantly, that I hope that I've Um, what I've achieved has made other people's lives better and happier, even in a a small degree. You know, you go back to football. And I think sometimes that elite elite athletes need to be heavily reminded, and particularly in in Premier League soccer, uh, where the money is obscene. They need to be reminded that the people at the ground supporting them week in, week out, are hardworking people for whom tickets for a game... Um, have been really hard-earned. Um, and actually, their their primary responsibility is to bring joy to yeah. those people. Um, it isn't to put another £500,000 or dollars in their bank account. Mm-hmm. It isn't to be pictured on the front page of some celebrity magazine. It's to bring joy to the people that are there. You know, sport at an elite level, at a professional level, should be as much about the spectator experience as it is anything else. It is an entertainment form. And I think sometimes we need all of us to be reminded that when you go back to this point about legacy, you know, when when you reach the end of your life, you will not smile in your dying breath going, I won X number of medals, had X number of Ferraris. It didn't matter that I took out other players and beat them and whatever. What, What should matter in those moments is that I made a positive difference For my friends, my family, if you're at that level of elite sport, my fans, I made life a little better for other people. And I think if you can achieve that in in your consciousness, in most of your interactions throughout your life, that your job is to help build a legacy which makes other people's lives better through their interactions and transactions with you, then frankly, I think you're richer than any human being driving any number of Lamborghinis. Absolutely. I just want to pick up again, Richard, on your uh, your insight there on that um, win at all costs. I don't know if mentality is the right word, but we'll stick with that for the time being. Because that's one that through my fear-based years, which were many, starting from a very early age, that was it. That was basically a pseudonym for insecurity and and, and vulnerability. I had to get in first. I had to win. Mm. Because to do any other would expose me at a time where I was already frail, vulnerable, weak. And it was... You know, you often you often see that, and and actually, that often begins in, from my own world, my own previous existence as a as an educator. You know, you often see that most frequently in the kids that bully at school. Um, one of the things that is very very clear in the vast majority of children who do bully, and you know, this isn't to condone it in any way, shape, or form, they are often the most vulnerable and damaged children 
in that community. And you're right, you know, the instinct, and and we see it throughout life, actually, not just in childhood. We see it right throughout life. And we see it at the moment, I think, in a couple of the world leaders we're alluding to, right? That actually, what you're seeing is deeply bullying behavior from people, where they are deliberately trying to undermine the self-worth of others. And actually, what that really says is they themselves are so deeply vulnerable, that the only way they can find to find security for themselves is by bringing others lower than they feel you know and that is such a damaging um, behavior but it, it is sadly prevalent in so many people and we need to we need to show deep compassion for people that show high levels of, of aggression high levels of bullying behavior because actually I don't believe we'll heal the world by uh, vilifying those people we the way we heal the world is to ask the question of why are they feeling that they need to act and behave that way um, and then if you can climb inside that behavior help that person own and understand their actions and their feelings you can start by degrees to improve them and therefore the people they're around. Absolutely. I can relate yet again to to so much of that. That is the path I've trodden personally. And just picking up on the world leaders stroke politicians, interesting movements afoot in the States, particularly Richard, with uh, a certain lady called Marion Williamson running for office, for the Democrat office. And I listened to an interview recently that she'd done with um, Major Garrett, and he was quoting back to her some of the the labels that had been attached to Marianne, um, akin to, and I'm paraphrasing now, um, loony left Pollyanna, this kind of mm. childish name slipping. Mm. Um, and she was, you know, she was immensely strong. She didn't get. She said, "Look, I'm not here to talk about playground slurs." But what I am here to talk about is changing this world through through love, not fear. But isn't it interesting, and again it's symptomatic of the environment we're living in at the moment, that the, com- the very conversation that we're having, we would both be accused of, there would be all sorts of words being thrown around about us. We would be left-wing liberals, we mm-hmm. would be unicorns or <laughs> rainbow, you know, yeah. rainbow warriors or, or you know... Um, peaceniks or whatever whatever else the terms people want to use and it seems to have become trendy to believe that people who are advocates for happier better more sustainable deeper compassion and love are somehow the lunatics in the asylum now which i just find an extraordinary flip in our society um you know i i'm I consider myself neither to be left-wing or particularly liberal, Um, but I do consider myself to be somebody who deeply, passionately cares about the environment in which I live and the people I share that environment with globally. Um, Now, if that suddenly makes me a bad person, then God, what's happened to our planet, right? And, And so... You know, the fact now that politicians will label women like Marianne that way, um, first of all, it shows an absolute paucity in their argument that they can't go deep into belief Mm. and deep into policy, that they just palm people off with a label. Um, Just shows actually an extraordinary weakness 
uh, in their own cultural understanding. And let's go back, because what it really demonstrates to me is profoundly they're bullies. And they feel deeply threatened by that compassion and that love. And I think for the rest of us who who feel this way, we, we need to create a real solidarity of intent and purpose. We need not to allow ourselves to be blown off course. We mustn't be intimidated by the labels and names and and vilification that's thrown at us. Because the truth is that I think if we continue to pursue um, a deep commitment to compassion, to love, to community, to collaboration, then ultimately we will continue to see an upward arc of the way our species behaves. Absolutely. And and I love how you brought that in, Richard, because I want to elaborate on that. And I certainly don't want to, you know, delve or, or dwell too much on my own subjective experiences. But that that retort from the outside world to, you know, if I can be allowed to use the term loony lefts, the liberals, call it what you will, because yeah. we're not really interested in no. the labels. They're your labels. You keep them. Yeah. You know, we wish we wish not to receive them, but let's let's kind of put that in context, and let me allow, if I can, Richard, share what is now becoming a um, a consistent response from myself in that respect, mm. and it's this. So, if somebody you know challenges me on that, I'll say, okay. So, have you come from a background of violence, of addiction? of dark, destructive behaviour, limiting beliefs, watching your mother beat up daily, you Mm. was beat up daily, attempted suicide at 13 and a half, you know, and all this craziness from a very early age that led to addiction and addictive behaviour and so much madness and, you know, um, self-destruction. Have you come from that backyard? Because if you have... First of all, you wouldn't be talking that way because you would understand that that journey of compassion, that progress, if you will, is only made by actually accepting that that fear-based, and I will use the word bullshit, is exactly that. Mm. Mm. So your argument is is flawed, full stop. But there is, you know, if I ask you and invite you in to give me, give me, you know, let's let's talk about the reality of being mm. up dark alleyways when nobody's there. But you know, I think what you're saying is so in- incredibly powerful. But also, I think what it speaks to is the fact that I think there are too many people in our society today who are too quick to pass judgment mm. um, based on very superficial information and understanding. We are a society obsessed with labelling and siloing each other. You know, you must be X or you must be Y. You you must be this, you must be that. Um, There's no grey areas. We we can't live in grey areas anymore. Um, But it's the superficial nature of, of judgment, which I think we need to challenge deeply because... You know, I truly believe that that 99.9% of humanity have inside them somewhere an instinct to be um, pack animals, to be collaborative, to be members of a community, to see and want good for themselves and each other. Um, but, But this climate of fear and anger an obsession with believing that others must be bigger, better, and therefore I need to either strive to overtake them or bring them down, has led to this culture where we are so easy 
to name call, to give people labels, and more disturbingly, to pass judgment on their backgrounds without truly understanding the depth of their history. You know, one of the things I often say to people is no experience in your life, um, it has not been worth having, because if you calibrate it properly, it's made you the person you've become. That's not to say those those moments were good or anything other than sheer evil and horror. But if you calibrate them right and you have people around you who support you and help you contextualize those experiences, they all go together to help you become the person you've become. So for example, in your context, your deep commitment to compassion, to collaboration, to bringing people together from speaking from the heart, the, the deep compassion that you show in all that you do, um, would never have happened if you hadn't have had the horrific upbringing and childhood that you'd experienced. And I think sometimes we are so easy to label people without deep understanding. And actually one of the great problems with, with humankind is we all appear to think we're so busy these days mm -hmm. that we don't have the time to yeah. build those depth of relationships and that depth of understanding mm -hmm. in terms of who we are, why we are, and what we can do to find points of connection. We could, just on that one question, I mean, just to I told you it was a simple question, Richard, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, time to move on, me thinks. Okay, so listen, Richard, we, we've kind of, we've been in a, in a real positive way, we've been all over the place there, we've touched on politicians, sports, role models, you know, beliefs, um, materialistic, you name it, labels. But if there was one thing, if I would kind of pin you in a metaphoric corner and say, Richard, just give me one thing, just one, that would make a real life-changing um, difference to people's lives, what would that one thing be or that piece of advice, that experience or, or whatever that may be? I think for me, the most important thing is to root yourself in reality of your now, of your current situation. It is to look, you know, the problem with human instinct is we're brilliant at identifying the things we haven't achieved, the things we don't have, the things we haven't, you know, whatever. That actually, we need to remember that, that simply waking up in the morning and being able to take breath and for most of us being able to take a step, and for most of us being able to communicate with other living human beings, mm. is a sheer joy. It's a sheer miracle, actually. Uh, the fact that any of us are here at all, when you think about the billion to one shots of, of becoming a human being, um, is, is miraculous. And I think sometimes we need to center ourselves on the basest things that we surround ourselves with that should give us joy um, and, and just occasionally celebrate those things, um, you know, deeply, the love of another human being, the fact that you have, for most of us, enough for a roof over your head, for the basic things that keep you alive, for the fact that you can walk, any of us pretty much, walk out of your door and embrace nature in one of its forms. And so for me, it's always to remember the deeply simple things that will always be the things that give us the greatest center, sense of centeredness and hopefully, therefore, the basis and foundations of joy. I think you've summed it up. I don't think there's any way to go from that, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> what holds us back then? 
Well, I think we, you know what, I think we've talked about it a lot. I think we've talked about it and inferred it a lot already in this conversation, because I think so much of what what holds us back is fear. I think fear in so many of its forms, fear of inadequacy, fear of not achieving um, enough, uh, fear of missing out on things we shouldn't miss out on fear of the judgment of others uh i think you know that that whole idea of of fear of of the unknown of but i you know i'm i'm I've, i'm going to protect what i have because i'm scared i could lose it all mm. of these things mm. which which i think are the inhibitors to any of us being able to 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 go further you know for me life is an adventure every single one of us from the minute of fertilization to the minute we spring to life in the physical world and beyond to the day of our death we must regard life as an adventure now adventures do not run a straight course adventures don't always just head in an upward direction you know if you you think about any great adventure movie there are deep dips there are deep moments of of fear and of loss and of sadness and of mistake making mm. um but you know that there are equally for every one of those moments moments of joy of happiness of of celebration um and i think that to me is is really important i think the sadness i feel for others is that they stop their adventure because they're too scared to yeah. take more steps forwards. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to reconcile in ourselves the fact that despite what we may hear and see, life is not a bed of roses. We should not feel guilty for the days we feel crappy. We should not feel guilty for the moments where we make a mistake or a failing or a relationship collapses or or whatever else it might be. We shouldn't feel guilty for the days where our physical health fails us mm. um, or our mental health challenges us. Mm. What we need to understand though is that they are all part of life's adventure and none of those things should inhibit us from taking those next steps and continuing that journey. And I think um, probably the way forward on that, Richard, is, is to have the you know, is to have these role models around us that can keep our metaphoric heads up when, when they're down. Yeah. And somebody said to, I was having a conversation with a guy in the States recently about, he was looking to develop a brand and he said, Paul, I want something really sharp and snappy and simple, you know, almost Ron like It says what it does on the tin. And and I don't know what it, and it's who really cares? And that's simplistic, who really cares? Because if I had if I had a pound or a euro, Richard, for every time, you know, when I've tried to inspire somebody and they've turned around and said, well, why should I bother? Because who really cares? And it's just knocking that first metaphoric domino over. Yeah, yeah. It's the hard one, as it always is. Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, like in any form of, of life, momentum is hard to build. But once you've got it, it's yeah. very difficult to stop. Um, and I, you know, I, you can think to even the most simple things. I mean, I, for example, uh, we talked about before on previous podcasts, I've always been challenged by my own weight, for example. And I know in my heart of hearts that one of the reasons for that is when I stop exercising, it's really hard to get going. And the perverse thing is the thought then of exercising is really difficult. Yeah. But the first time I get on a treadmill, go for a run, make my heart beat faster, make the sweat appear on my brow I actually finish 
feeling better for it and know that then I can the, the I've, I've pushed the rock right yes. and the rock started rolling yeah. and and I think often it's it's the perception that is the greatest break and what we need to do is overcome our personal perceptions and every so just not let our perceptions win because the truth is our reality is never as difficult as our perception tries to tell us it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at your new book, Richard, Education, a Manifesto for Change. Give us a brief insight into that, if you will. Well, I mean, it, it really came, I, I started writing the, the new book um, a decade after I left my job as a head teacher, as a school principal. Um, I didn't think I was ever going to write another education-focused book again, but it, like so many things in my life, you know, events and things happen and you trust the momentum, as we've talked about, and, and you take a punt. Um, but, you know, in the 10 years or so since, I'd realised how much of the other experiences I'd had in my life had resonated deeply with me. Because the one thing about an educator is once an educator, always an educator. You, you never lose it. You never retire from it. You never leave it behind. It's always there front and center in your heart and in your mind. Yeah. And the number of times in that decade, I thought, God, I wish I'd known that when I was a teacher. And, and so what I decided to do was write a book sharing all of those experiences and thoughts. So basically, the, the, the subtitle of the book should have been um, Everything I Wish I'd Known Then. Um, right. and, and basically, it's a reflection on all the extraordinary experiences I've had in the last 10, 11 years and how they actually resonated for me in my mind and heart as an educator. And what I wanted to do was create a really positive and constructive view to get people talking and to provoke thinking based on those experiences, not a polarized view of it's gotta be this or it's gotta be that or you're rubbish and I'm gonna tell you how to do it, mm. but just purely based on a series of experiences over a decade that were funneled through the lens of somebody who'd spent 20 years in a classroom and thinking to myself gosh when it happened to me that was really interesting what do you think of it so it's that really it's it's hopefully a catalyst for constructive conversations to make education for our kids more meaningful and more uh, more valuable i'm just writing down richard four very important words here i feel there's a book in this <laughs> what do you think question mark yeah that's like great that. yeah what do you think so, Richard, on that note, um, I'd like to ask you for one one final time, I suppose, about what do you think around the way forward for, for life? And I know I've kind of just said the one big thing, but in a more generic sense, what do you think? You know, th this beautific world that we do live in, mm. but that we do lose sight of, what's the way forward? You know, I think, you know what, it, it's to start with with one simple question i mean i'm not a scientist but the the context for the question is this um i would imagine that every 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 living thing on earth and particularly within the species of humanity we must share a huge percentage of the same DNA. I mean, it must be 99.999% reoccurring or some huge, right? But the point is, there is far more that binds us than divides us. Yeah. And for me, the critical thing we should all be embracing every minute of every day when our uh, mind, peace of, peace of mind allows us, 
is to ask the question, what do we have in common? Um, and, you know, if, if I think if we can flip the conversation so we spend less time trying to seek out why we shouldn't be together, why we shouldn't be collaborative, why we shouldn't be part of the same community and spend just a little bit more time celebrating why we should, I think we would all end up living happier, more fulfilling lives. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Richard. So um, finally, Richard, people want to get in touch with you, find out more about you. How can they do that? What's your contact details? Well, they can they can find me through my website, which is simply richardgerver.com or Twitter, where I love to interact with people, which again is just simply at Richard Gerver. Both routes, you'll be able to find me directly because I promise you there's a human being on the other end. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, all that remains now, Richard, is, is for me to say thank you as ever it's been a it's been in depth it's been all over the place but you know i can only speak from my own point of view as a host it's been thoroughly challenging and enjoyable so thank you Richard. oh likewise paul it's been an absolute pleasure I can, here's to the next one here's to the next one and so listeners i hope you share that uh, enthusiasm and there's been one or two little pearls one or two insights in there that uh, you can resonate with and build on and uh, and just remember until the next time whatever you do in life always always walk your path with heart. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.